How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. What, uh, how's your week been? Uh, my week's been fine. How has your week been? Good. It's cold here. It's snowing, which yeah. is terrible. <sighs> I hate the snow and I hate that we live in Colorado. <laughs> I love it in the summers. I hate it in the winters. I hate it all the time. That's not true. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No way. Okay. <laughs> you hate Colorado? Who hates Colorado? It's not my favorite place. Like, what's your favorite place? Washington State. Why? It's beautiful. Is it's it always it rains? All it's always rain? rainy and it's always cloudy and foggy and dreary and just like the perfect amount of chill. I mean, like obviously their winters they get snow and stuff too, but like it's nothing compared to a Colorado snow. Like, I don't know. I love the Pacific Northwest. What's the, what's the snow like? It's wet. Like it's made out of water? No, I mean, like, you know the difference here between, like, our winter Slushy. snows are dry and then our wet snows are, like, it's just heavy. Ugh. Yeah. Wet snow is terrible. Yeah, wet snows are the worst. But I don't know. I just, I like the dreary weather that Washington State has, at least on the West Coast. Good. Yeah. But, well, alas, here I am in landlocked Colorado. I think I'll get plenty of dreary weather this week, at least. Fingers crossed. Do you have anything for the podcast? Um, no. Okay. I have one thing um, that is disappointing. What? Um, I told you this off camera a couple of weeks ago, so off I don't camera. know if you remember. Yeah, off camera. And uh, it was about the Queen Mary. Do you recall a conversation no, we had remember. about the Queen Mary? Okay. Mm -mm. Turns out, I don't know why I didn't know this or why it doesn't come up more, <clears throat> but it has come up multiple times in different podcasts I've been listening to lately, but... Um, the most haunted room on the Queen Mary, what was it, B, like B31, B341, something like that. Um, originally, when the Queen Mary was owned by Disney, they set that room up with, like, all kinds of hidden shit mm, to make it spooky and haunted and to scare people. Well, then Disney uh, ended their lease and moved everything out, thought they moved everything out, and didn't, and left some shit. And now it's uh, supposedly the most high room, but probably it's not. It's probably just a lot of uh, talk and maybe some vibes from so many people going in there thinking it's the most high room and yeah. then it be somehow becomes the most high room. Like but we talk it all a lot started because of Disney. Yeah. And we talk a lot about like, do we manifest these spirits, especially like with the podcast, like places mm. like um, the Stanley Hotel? Like, do we physically manifest these things because we put it out into the world? Like, I think that that's a possibility. Oh, yeah. Like, giving it more energy and actually, yep. like, what are those called? Is it a gin? No, I think it's some other. Tulpa. Tulpa, thank you. <laughs> Sorry, I've got You've phasmo been too on much the brain. Phasmo, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, anyway. that's all I had. Disappointing. It's not disappointing. Well, a little bit. No, I think like, it's really just. really Disney, come on. I, Disney ruins everything. So are we surprised? Hopefully no. not. But also, I think it's an interesting way to like see the history. Yeah. Okay. That's yes. fair. Well, um, do you have anything after that? No. Sorry about last week, guys. Uh, I went on vacation and we did not thoroughly plan when we were going to record. So that was 
That was my fault, basically. Oh, but no. It happens. I, I think we wanted to record when I came back, like the day I came back, but oh, I was too fucking tired. Yeah, that was absolutely not going to happen. I was sick this last week, so it's just been a rough week. Thanks for hanging in there and listening to like one of our most popular episodes again, if you haven't heard it already. Heck yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, well, on that note, uh, we got a spooky week for you. Yes. Do you know much about Haunted Fort Mifflin? Fort Mifflin? Mm-hmm. No. Really? Yeah, I have no idea. It is um, the oldest running, technically, the oldest running fort in the U.S. Fun fact. Oh, really? Yep. Let me tell you about it. Wait, oldest running? Like, it still works? So, it's still being used, I'll talk about it a little bit, but it's still being used technically by the Army Corps of Engineers, which is like, mm-hmm. army, not army. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's kind of, yeah, it's a weird, like, category, but... Um, yeah, technically it's still in use by them. So, okay. And it was built before the Revolutionary War. So. Gotcha. Uh, Fort Mifflin was originally named Fort Island Battery and was also known as what? Fort Island Battery. Oh, it's better. Mud Island Fort is the other AKA. Oh my gosh. So yeah, naming was not in. Uh, <laughs> it was not. Their was forte? not a, yeah, it's not their forte for sure. Originally built in 1771. But the island was used uh, as like a fortification due to colonists in Philadelphia, which was founded in 1681, who recognized the area sat at a it sat at like the confluence of the Delaware River and the I don't know how to spell this Skykill. Skykill. And I say the only reason I know how to maybe pronounce this is because of uh, Hamilton, the musical. Oh my god! Because the Schuyler sisters. Uh, mm. their name was spelled just like this, S-C-H-U-Y-L-E-R, mm. but it was pronounced Skyler, but this is S-C-H-U-Y-L-K-I-L-L. So I'm going to say Skillkill, Sky, Skykill, I don't know. Um, but anyways, being at the confluence of these two rivers made it pretty strategic in na- like a military sense. Yeah. And I think they probably had a good idea that some sort of war was on the horizon with Britain. Mm-hmm. Um... The Quakers in the area were pretty anti-military, and they uh, comprised of like most of the, or they dominated that area. So the actual fort wasn't built until 1771, even though they used the island kind of as a fort prior to that. Interesting. Once the inklings of the Revolutionary War started up, Pennsylvania Governor John Penn. Uh, asked for designs for various fortifications and defense for the city to be submitted to him. Uh, Following the Declaration of Independence, the Philadelphia Committee of Public Safety started further construction on the fort, which completed in 1776, and the intent for it was to use Fort Mifflin and a nearby Fort Mercer to control any kind of British Navy activity along the Delaware River. Okay. Um, 1777... Uh, British forces took control of Philadelphia in September of that year, and they attacked, obviously, Fort Mifflin and Fort Mercer. And during this major, major siege, uh, 400 American soldiers held off more than 2,000 British troops and 250 ships all the way until November 10th. Okay. So that is a long-ass time, like over a month. Yeah. They, like, held down this fort. At this point uh, in November... British intensified their attacks with a constant barrage of cannonballs into the fort, uh, but the American forces didn't give up and constantly harassed the surrounding British operations in the rivers, 
But unfortunately, on November 15th, after several months of defending the fort, the American forces had to evacuate. Um, this time that they were able to ward off the British from using those rivers further bought General Washington enough time to rebuild and reposition the Continental Army so that they could successfully fight in the Battle of White Marsh and they could get together for Valley Forge. Okay. So that's badass. So this is considered the fort that won America, basically, because if they hadn't been able to hold the British off, uh, Washington wouldn't have had the time to actually build up the army to How win. interesting. The siege killed slash wounded 250 out of the 450 soldiers that were defending, and the surviving soldiers had to ferry the dead and wounded to the mainland before they could finally evacuate. So that was traumatic. Yeah. Of the original Fort Mifflin, only the white stone walls survive today, hmm. but you can still see the damage that was done during that particular event, which is pretty cool. Um, the ruins of the fort were pretty much not even touched again until 1793 when they started rebuilding everything. The initial goal was to rebuild the fort to accommodate 48 guns and included barracks for soldiers, uh, five total barracks to house 25 men each, so 125 soldiers total. Hmm. Um, so this included casemate one, which was for just regular soldiers, and then casemates two, three, and four were like storage for like artillery and stuff, and then casemate five was for officers. However, all of these were turned into prisoner cells during the Civil War. Later, uh, we found that casemate eleven existed. Basically, that was re-dug up like a couple decades ago, which is pretty crazy i think um nobody really knew it existed and like i said it was unearthed just a few years ago and it was originally a powder magazine and changed to a solitary confinement cell during the civil war Eek. that will come up later i'm um, sure <laughs> the fort was used to house confederate prisoners of war during the civil war as well as union soldiers and civilian prisoners one soldier of note was a guy named William Howe. Um, he was in a Union uh, soldier who was accused of desertion. Howe led an attempt, uh, an attempted escape of 200 prisoners while he was there. And afterwards, he was put in solitary confinement, blah, solitary confinement, a.k.a. Casemate 11, uh, where he left his signature on the wall. And that's how they were to identify him when they dug it all back up. How interesting. He was eventually hung in front of an audience who paid for tickets to watch the execution Ew. to include his wife in the crowd. She so. paid for tickets to see they, her I don't know if they die. made. I don't know if they made her pay or not. They probably I feel like she like, gets a freebie. Mm. But, uh, like if you yeah, want to see this year. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, during World War II, the fort was used to station anti-aircraft guns to defend the nearby Naval Ammunition Storage Depot and the Philadelphia Naval like, Shipyard. Mm -hmm. The first African-American Coast Artillery Unit unit in the uh, whole history of the U.S. was stationed here. Pretty badass. And then in 1954, the fort stopped being used as like a primary military post and effectively closed. Um it does rank among the oldest forts and continuous use in the U.S., even though that's, like, when it uh, stopped being, like, a fort that regular soldiers went to. Um, like I said, at the beginning, they still consider it to be in use uh, now by the Army Corps of Engineers. Interesting. 
1962, the fort was deeded to the city of Philadelphia, and they began restoring it at that time. Um, current standing buildings include the arsenal, the artillery shed, the blacksmith shop, the sutler building slash the storehouse, uh, the various barracks, the officer's quarters, the commandant's house, a hospital slash mess hall, depending on uh, when it was being used, and the west sally port, the casemates, the east magazine, and then casemate 11. Okay. So that is all the history, uh, briefly, obviously, of Fort Mifflin. Let's get to the hauntings because there get are many. To it. Uh, the first we're going to talk about is the Screaming Woman. Naturally. <laughs> um, the Screaming Woman has sometimes been described as being both young and old screaming. and in oh. between, but always screaming. Um, she has been especially associated with the officer's quarters. Uh, she's been heard countless times at such volume that the Philadelphia police have been called out on numerous occasions. Uh, but as soon as they get there, obviously, nobody is there. Huh. She has often been identified as a woman named Elizabeth Pratt, and it's believed she was the wife of one of the officers, and that's why she hangs out in those barracks. Okay. Uh, second ghost, the Faceless Man. Uh, he's also been reported many times by countless people at various locations around the fort, especially in Casemate 5. There's not a lot of information besides uh, he's faceless. <laughs> um, besides he's fucking faceless. Besides the fact he does not have a face. Uh, the next ghost is the lamplighter. Um, I, I'm, hold on. Let me just take a wild guess. Does, does he, he light, light lamps? <laughs> <laughs> um, he is a ghost that has been spotted walking around carrying an oil-burning lamp, although all the lights inside and outside the fort are electric. Mm. Supposedly a, quote, psychic identified him as a man named Joseph Adkins, but there is zero supporting evidence uh, of that. Hmm. And then we have the tour guide. Uh, there is a ghost that has been dubbed the tour guide, who I bet you can guess. Gives tours. He gives tours. <laughs> um, he's dressed in period clothing and has been mistaken multiple, multiple times for an actual person. Um, Same. He's given tours to many unsuspecting guests with no actual guides, uh, like when there are no guides on the schedule at that time. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. I would take a... Uh, ghost tour from a ghost. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like they, they would, would know really the best. Know their shit, yeah, <laughs> they're like, oh yeah, la just last week this happened, and then twenty years ago this happened. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was crazy. I was right here. I was standing yeah. here, and now I'm here. Yes. Um, there have been voices of children and barking dogs reportedly heard by many when there's obviously no kids or dogs around. There's a witness report of a ship seemingly plucked out of time and docked by the fort. That's pretty interesting. Weird. Uh, there is a ghost who they call the sad-looking man. <laughs> All these names are very, like, on point. Um, he's been seen walking alone down the road <laughs> to the gate, and then he just disappears and looks sad the whole time. I think... <laughs> I fear what it, my ghost is going to be called one day, <laughs> based off of all of these names that you're listing. Are they going to be like that sad girl? <laughs> this is the, that one sad girl. Sad girl that won't stop crying. <laughs> crying sad girl. Do you hear that? Yeah, is it clicking? Yeah, I think uh, one of my three prints just stopped, and uh, 
I think it's probably cooling down. So the plastic is kind of moving a little bit. Yeah, it's spooky. Um, we have the blacksmith who they have identified as a man named Jacob Sauer. He um, is supposed to close the doors in the blacksmith area. Um, there's no like supporting evidence that any individual by that name resided at the fort, but um, it's a pretty common claim. Yeah. In addition to these like very specific ghosts, there have been reports concerning multiple random like other sensory encounters, which is like um, people smell wood fire um, or like fresh baked bread, which is awesome. Um, and that's usually in the casemates where there's like no way to cook bread and like no fire places yeah. or anything being used like that. Uh, records of disembodied voices of soldiers, sailors, and civilians have all been heard and are well documented, sometimes over a century after they've lived at the fort, and people have been obviously touched, pushed, pulled, and sometimes, like, held, like, restrained. Ew. So that's super spooky. Don't touch um, me. Casemate 11 is very interesting because throughout all the blueprints of the fort that have been, like, updated and passed down all the way from Civil War on, there's always been a spot... Where it's like, I think something used to be here. Mm -hmm. And then a couple, like a few years ago, they finally like dug it up and found a perfectly intact casemate that was the one that they used as solitary during the Civil War. Oh, shit. And the first group that was able to go down there was ghost hunters. And they had like a ton of experiences. So people like that one. Obviously, um, that's very... Uh, I think any solitary confinement at all is going to produce like a lot mm. of emotion. Yeah. So I bet you would get a lot more residual shit down there than anything else. But uh, there is a lot of activity there. And that is Fort Mifflin. And you can go there and get normal tours. And I think they do ghost tours and you can do all kinds of stuff. So all kinds of stuff. That's Fort Mifflin. That's it. Interesting. Oh, yeah. Who would have thunk? Um, I'm talking about a place that I didn't find out about until I was, I was at work one day and this girl just transferred, like it's not like not really transferred, but moved here from Oklahoma and she found out that I like spooky things and she's like, oh, have you heard of this place called Pitcher, Oklahoma? And I was like, no, I haven't. So she told me about it and I was like, interesting, I'm going to do an episode on it. <laughs> so, uh, that's what we're talking about. So, uh, this is also my favorite part about this is that it is off of Highway 69. <laughs> so, that's just a... Anyways. Also, I wrote these notes a very long time ago. So, if I have to stop <laughs> and remember why I wrote what I wrote. So, sorry. Um, so, Pitcher, Oklahoma is located eight miles north of... And don't butcher me on this. It's spelled like Miami, Florida, but it's pronounced Miami. I, th that's where my, my coworker's from. She's from Miami. So I have a, a resident, a previous resident telling me it's not Miami, it's Miami. Um, uh, off of Highway 69 in Ottawa County. That's and silly. Isn't it silly? <laughs> it is the most ridiculous thing. I, it's like the most Southern thing I've ever yeah. heard. Miami. Uh -huh. uh, anyways. And uh, Pitcher was once uh, Oklahoma's most, most Northeastern incorporated city. Um, its city limits adjoined with the Kansas state line and statewide newspapers reported that the town was basically like born overnight. Like it didn't exist. And then the next thing, you know, like hundreds of like, people live there. Town. Yeah. So then late 1913, the town was developed and it was basically there because of the lead and zinc ore 
strike on Henry Crawfish's allotment. I don't know what the fuck that means, but uh, Pitcher's name is honored by O.S. Pitcher, the owner of Pitcher Lead Company. Um, So Pitcher Incorporated in March 1918 and had a population of 9,726 in 1920 and it peaked at 14,252 in 1926. So literally strictly just a mining town. Yeah. Um, So as most mining towns, the moment the mining decreased, the population dropped steadily so then 1940 they were at just over 5,800 and then in 1960 they were at 2,500 so wow really really dropped uh pitcher was the most productive mining field in the tri-states lead and zinc district which was oklahoma kansas and missouri it produced more than two billion dollars in ore from 1917 to 1947 then uh, more than 50% of the lead and zinc metal consumed in World War I came from Pitcher, Oklahoma. Uh, during the mining boom years, more than 14,000 men worked in the mines and another 4,000 worked approximately 1,500 mining service businesses. So it was huge. Uh, many of these workers commuted to work using extensive trolley car system that ran all the way from um, Carthage, Missouri, Carthag. I don't know. I'm going to go Carthage. with Carthage. Is it Carthage? Mm-hmm. Thank you. I'm like, do they do a hard T and then an H? <laughs> uh, so in the subsequent years, Pitcher could not attract a new industry. Basically, the, the mining was gone and they lost their pizzazz. So the majority of the real estate belonged to restricted uh, Quapa heirs, which I'm assuming is a Native American tribe, um, because the town had many mines distributed underneath the surface. Uh, so it was like tribal land. Uh, OS Pitcher provided the city's first deep water well, thereby providing a beginning of a municipal water system. The leasing system employed for mining dictated that an ore reduction mill be built on each 40-acre tract. Then in 1927, there were 248 mills that operated in the Pitcher field, and this continued until the 1930s, when centralizing milling resulted in mill cons... cons- I'm so sorry. <laughs> I can't say this word consolidation thank you wow i kept saying that was a normal no word. <laughs> i was thinking about um what's it called when like your drink gets wet when it's condensation. condensation that's what i was trying to say and i was like that's not the word my brain could not work for a second um so when lead and zinc mining finally ceased uh, in 1967 the pumping of the water from the mines also ceased and they began to fill with water um, and that cu- accumulated 76,800 acre feet of mines that were all underground. Wow. Oh, water. Like, I mean, like yeah. the water was like filled them basically. Right. So then the water obviously became contaminated from this and it started seeping from the mines in 1973. Uh, in 1983, the federal government, including, oh, I'm sorry, made the mining town uh, as Tar Creek Superfund site. And basically, this was a program that was made to help communities of Pitcher, Cardin, uh, Pitcher and Cardin, Oklahoma, with this tragedy, I guess. Like, I don't know, I wouldn't say it was catastrophic, but it was definitely like a disaster. Um, and then federal authorities basically went there, surveyed the area, and they were like, yeah, that's hazardous. Yeah. So with 1,400 mine shafts in the Pitcher area, 450 were still open. 70 million tons of waste tailings and 36 million tons of mill and sand and sludge. The environmental cleanup, basically, is just this huge task. Like, it's unsurmountable. Right. Um, or is it insurmountable? In or un? One of the two. Years of extracting 
ore from the earth and lead and large piles, all of these led to large piles of toxic waste from the mines that scattered throughout the city, basically. They did not take good care of where to put these uh, elements. Um, So not only did they have contaminated water, but these piles of things were contaminating the city and the soil and the sand known as chat um, had a severe impact on the environment and human health, as I think I discussed in my last spooky town Mm -hmm. um so the picture area became toxic the residents were exposed to harmful toxins obviously so anytime they stepped out the door basically they would take in all of these toxic fumes and contamination from the soil they had no idea though naturally so kids would ride their bikes up and down the chat piles and parents would even use chat to fill their kids sandboxes so we wonder what happens to like boomers (laughs) they not only had lead paint but they were put into like <laughs> contaminated fucking sand. Yeah. God, their brains are fucked. Right. So by the time the mining stopped in the 1970, the damage obviously was already done. The groundwater again was contaminated with levels of lead, high, very high levels of lead, and the eroded soil made sinkholes and cave-ins a serious risk in the town. So in 1983, the Pitcher area became part of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency's Superfund site program. So they were the ones that came out and were like, yeah, that's dangerous. And now they basically are going there and they made it the number one Superfund site in America. So they're like, this is our highest priority. So the Environmental Protection Agency, or the EPA, uh, designed funds to cap off mine shafts and deliver clean water to the Pitcher community, but residents were already suffering the effects, obviously. Um, Over a decade after the Superfund was established, uh, it was discovered that 63% of children were suffering from lead poisoning. Not a surprise, uh, but it's still very sad. 63%, that's insane. Uh, So then in 2000, and it's so crazy to think, like, 2000. Like, this is very recent shit. Yeah. How sad. Uh, in 2000, Pitcher's population was at uh, 1,640, and the town employed an aldermanic government form. I don't know what that means. Do you know what an aldermanic government is? No. It's probably one where, like, everybody just tells each other what to do. It's kind of like anarchy. <laughs> They're like, no, we should do this. No, I'm going to do that. Because, like, th- it's not really a town at this point with how, like, fucked up it is. Yeah. So it... Today, it no longer exists as a community. In spring of 2008, an F4 tornado damaged over 100 houses and killed six people. Good lord. And due to uh, the possibility of collapsing mine shafts, which we talked about before, the EPA determined the town was, like, inhabitable. It was too dangerous. So the city government finally canceled Pitcher's incorporated status on September 1st, 2009. And then the EPA evacuated the town in June and of that year, 2009, and completed, basically, they bought out all the residents to help them relocate. Hmm. Um, in 2010, though, the U.S. Census counted a population of 20 within the city boundaries of the former town. And then in early 2010, the demolition of houses and businesses began. And in 2011, only one business um, and six residences remained. The Burger Basket... Why? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) The Burger Basket, which proudly proclaimed itself, quote, the last place in Pitcher, end quote, was demolished in 2011. (laughs) Um, So Pitcher basically now is a ghost town with uh, around 10 people that have remained to like just very hard fast like i'm not leaving this is my home uh even though they are probably lead poisoned as fuck um so they call themselves chat rats and they live in the town that 
used to exist in those like very few houses that are still left um and basically the toxic air the sinking ground and tornadoes like don't scare them uh so pitchers <laughs> toss it <laughs> with the, what they're like nothing stopped me yet let's keep going so the toxicity to- toxicity is that right mm-hmm. i'm trying to think of uh system of a down how they say it um hasn't kept serious explorers from venturing uh curious i'm sorry curious explorers from venturing through the wastelands youtube literally if you just youtube pitcher oklahoma there's hundreds of videos of people walking through the streets of pitchers abandoned buildings and like looking through signs of like all the doors and everything like that there's like keep out and like spray paints on so many of the properties as a way to keep people away from there because it's still fucking poisonous don't do this please it's like chernobyl yes like flint michigan yeah it's like there's probably certain areas that are like okay but like don't go in the town it's not good um so as of 2006 the army corps of engineers conducted a study and found that 86 percent of the city's buildings were resting on ground that was about to collapse 86 percent like don't fucking go what a just terrible area Yeah. yeah um so the Tri-State Zinc and Lead Core Producers Association office, um, in parentheses, I put NR03000097. No idea why I put that in there, but if it's important to you, um, that's what the number is. Uh, it has been added to the National Register of Historic Places. And that was in 1997, and it housed the Pitcher Mining Field Museum, which probably no longer exists because everything got torn down in 2011. I don't have any ghost stories for you. That was, that's it. I was just talking about a ghost town that got wiped out by the mining industry. And I'm sure you could go, don't go there, but like, I'm sure if you go there, <laughs> you can experience all kinds of shit. But because people aren't allowed to go there, I didn't have really a lot of stories to go on. Hmm. Um, so check out the YouTube videos. Please, 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 please don't go there. No, please don't. I don't want you to be like that girl on that fucking podcast told me to go there and now I have lead poisoning and I'm going to sue her. No. <laughs> on the record, don't go there. Just YouTube it. Just watch other people's uh, poor decisions. That's super interesting. Isn't it interesting? I thought it was very, very interesting. I wonder Fun little how many story. towns are like that. I feel like a lot. That There's we gotta don't be think a lot, about. right? Especially with like how America, like yeah. America has like a shitty history about like how we've started mm-hmm. but like if it's not like trying to be like the best and like just killing off native americans it's we have to be rich and that's the gold rush like any mining that was like peak america like early 1900s that yeah. just fucked over the environment fucked over towns killed thousands and thousands of people mm-hmm. and it's just not worth it in the long run but at least california is populated i guess good Good, 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 good. That's all I have. Cool. If you want to check us out, you can go on Instagram at Who Knew Podcast, and then there's like a link that you can check out everything that we're on. Um, and then like if you want to like, and then like if you want to talk to us, there's like an email, and it's something like Who Knew Podcast six 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 at gmail dot com. Um, give us some episode suggestions. Sorry if mine was kind of boring, but I don't care. I thought it was, I like little things like that. I don't know. Yeah. I love it. Weirdo. Good deal. Anything else? No. Okay. Well, we have animals in here, but they're all sleeping. So I'll say goodbye.